freedom 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 over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives i am your host bruce anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcast subscribe share like comment and rate us you can find us on instagram youtube and twitch at unsolicited underscore perspectives on twitter and tiktok at unsolicited underscore per watch us live every thursday night 7 30 p.m eastern on youtube and twitch our audience continues to grow with each and every episode and i humbly thank you on today's episode, I'll be talking to social worker and clinical therapist Megan McKernan. She's based out of Baltimore, has her own practice called Clarity Wellness Solutions, and we're going to be talking about PTSD, trauma, and mental health. But first things first. I'm really excited to be interviewing Megan McKernan today. I think mental health. It's getting a little bit more pub, you know, over the last couple of years, especially during a pandemic of of people really addressing their mental health. I still think that we've got a long way to go uh, with dealing with mental health, dealing with anxiety, depression. And that's a lot of things that, that Megan deals with. Right. She's a therapist. She got her master's degree in social work from the University of Maryland, Baltimore, uh, and she's worked in Baltimore and in D.C. in the foster care system, uh, with adults, with children, uh, for people from all walks of life. Uh, she, she got a dream job being a therapist, eventually starting her own clinic, Clarity Wellness, uh, Clarity Wellness Solutions. Um, I'm really excited because me and my sister often talk about mental health and how important it is to really address it. And, and I still feel like there's a stigma to talking about basically your feelings. Uh, there's still a stigma with men to talk about your feelings, like it's some sort of weakness. And and uh, I remember the last person I dated, uh, I opened up uh, to talk about feelings, which has often been a a a issue that people that have been in relationships with me has said that that, that I don't open up and I don't talk. And 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 during this and enlightening enlightenment period that I that I've come to. Um, you know, I opened up and shared feelings. At the same time I would share feelings, I would also say, you know, I ain't no punk. I still slap somebody on the street. And and while that may be true, um, it was a facade that I was putting on. Not a facade. It's not a facade because it's real life. It's the truth. I will smack somebody in the street saying something slick. Uh, talk about my feelings doesn't make me weak, but there's still that history of expressing emotions and feelings and the connotation of it being weakness that I that I'm still combating, right? That that I would have to show my masculinity because I was expression expressing emotions and feelings. And there's this dichotomy of yeah, I I don't want to be that closed off person, but I don't want to be portrayed or, or, or assumed to be weak because I express emotions. And and that's a huge problem in uh, communities, right? And, and I can't even say it's just people of color because I know other races that aren't of color, white, that, that, that deal with the same things. They don't talk about emotions, they bottle up. And that's the reason why everybody dying of heart attacks and, and, and strokes. Because you're holding it all in and you busted. So I'm really excited to talk to Megan about how just one therapy, her background, how she got to where she is in her career, and hopefully things that will help people, one, come to the realization that talking about your feelings isn't a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. It means that you're trying to better yourself. And anytime you're trying to better yourself, that's never a weakness. And uh, ways in which people can break down those barriers and go get therapy. But without further ado, here's the interview. I'm here with a social worker, Megan McKernan, and she is also the owner of Clarity Wellness Solutions in Baltimore, Maryland. 
Megan, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. I am rocking my It's Cool to Talk About Mental Health hoodies. I know you like wearing hoodies, so I had to join in in that theme. I'm glad that you picked up on that. Not a lot of people pick on pick up on the fact that I'm wearing a different hoodie in a different color each and every episode. You, Megan, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, this is very important what we're going to talk about today, mental health. And it's funny because me and my sister just filmed an episode last night and we were talking about my personal dealings with mental health and the fact that I had a panic attack when I was in high school. They had to rush me to the hospital. But this was 1996 and they had no idea of what was actually going on and no help afterwards. So right. and, and talking about myself, let's talk. Let's get to you. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you became interested in pursuing a career in social work and mental health? Of course. So I feel like I fall into that cliche of this field really chose me rather than I chose it. And that is due to my own family trauma, my own history of family trauma um, that starts way back when my paternal grandmother died by suicide mm. when my dad was only six years old. And that has totally sent ripples of ripple effects, has totally shaped my entire family my entire life. And so being raised by a traumatized individual in my dad, because he was not supported in that awful, horrendous trauma, you know, created secondary trauma as well as just my own trauma with emotional neglect and such. And so I was always aware of my, my feelings, but I didn't know how to handle them, how to manage them. I had absolutely no um, model or guide for how to do that. You know, I would, I was, like I said, being raised by a traumatized individual himself. So that just created so much complex PTSD is what I've learned in grad school is what that's called. And that is due to just this long-term, that's just how it was. Um, it wasn't like a specific incident, really. It's just when you're, you know, when you're raised by an alcoholic rageaholic is is how I, I would describe them. Um, it just creates its own set of circumstances. And so I knew that I wanted to major in psychology when I went to college. I wanted to learn as much as I could about what was going on, why the people around me were behaving the way they were behaving and acting. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until right before my senior year of college that I was introduced to social work. And so I said, awesome, I'm doing this, went right to grad school got my MSW and was hoping that I could somehow go right into therapy. And that wasn't the case. I didn't have enough experience. And then that, that was fine. I, I knew that. So I pivoted to foster care. Mm -hmm. um, and I was working in foster care in, the, in Washington, D.C. for several months until that contract ended. And then I was licensing foster parents. And then it was a few years later that I finally got into a clinic that I was able to do therapy and got my clinical hours, got my clinical license. And it was until June 2020 is when I decided to start my own practice. And that's when I started Clarity Wellness Solution. Okay. I, so as we said during the, the pre-show, uh, I was going to perhaps detour. Uh, this yeah, is totally. one of those moments where I was going to detour because you brought up uh, your father. Mm -hmm. Was he an only child? Did he have siblings? Did the siblings show similar, uh, similar symptoms that he did? And uh, your mother and father, how was that relationship growing up dealing with his trauma? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He has a younger sister. Uh, my aunt's only two years younger than him. Um, and they were, you know, they both took very different paths of how they dealt with their trauma. I think my aunt tried to get help and was much more external in her voicing her need for help. Whereas my dad internalized it all. And mm. that's why he self-medicated with alcohol. And so he would, he was more successful, however, um, career wise. And so he would say that he handled it better. However, mm. I don't think that's the case because while he was successful career wise, he was, you know, um, like emotionally harming his kids, myself and my sister. So 
my aunt didn't have children, but she is a great, she's a great auntie mm-hmm. and she, you know, loves us as her own. And just cause she did not like have her own family and kids. However, that's, you know, she experienced so much judgment because of that, which is not fair because yeah. in my opinion, she's more mentally healthy hmm. than my dad is. And I've had like, I've had to literally go no contact with him five years ago because things just kept escalating with his own issues that yeah. he refused to deal with. Um, so which is unfortunately it got worse for him, got better for her. It's and something. so it's just, yeah, very, very different paths of how they dealt with their trauma. My, my mom and dad somehow stayed married for like 20 something years and got divorced in 2012. And so that was its own traumatic <laughs> situation just because my dad leaned on me and kind of treated me as his therapist during that time. Hmm. And that was just obviously too much. And so, yeah, he, he eventually remarried and whatever. Um, it was, but yeah, it was five years ago. His alcoholism just came to a head and I don't want to get into details, but it was just okay. so bad that I was like, um, me, yeah, I'm done. Um, yeah. I have, I have now an eight-year-old daughter. I'm married, and I was really worried about exposing my own family to, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. And so that was a big part of why I had to say, like, right, I'm going to set the strongest boundary I've ever had to set, and I didn't want to. Like, that's why it was so traumatizing, because I didn't want to. Like, you never want to go no contact with a parent. Right. Um, but when it's just so bad, when they are so emotionally volatile that, you know, like they're screaming at your husband in a restaurant, like it's just, I can't, I can't deal with that anymore. Um, and so I've had to separate myself, kind of love him from a distance and, you know, hope that he gets help, the help that he needs. And it's, it, it's allowed me to heal myself and realize that the way I was raised wasn't right just because even though I was raised in bougie Howard County, I had, I had everything I needed physically. Um, emotionally, it was another story though. So it, you know, I'm, I'm healing from that and it's a lot easier not you know, having set that boundary, unfortunately. Yeah. So I'm now on a path to, heal my mom, my sister and I as a unit. And I'm in the process of pursuing family therapy for the three ah, of us. Okay. So that we can figure out how to navigate this very strict boundary that we've set. Cause I know my mom has a hard time with that at times, even though she understands it's still just like weird for her. And so I'm, that's my like main goal for this year is to get the three of us some family therapy to really heal from all so much and then figure yeah. out how we can move forward. I tell friends of mine that have kids, I don't have any kids, uh, but I tell friends of mine that have kids that I recognize that they have some mental health issues. And I say to them all the time, hey, you may think that you're hiding it from your children, but trust me, you aren't because kids are very perceptive. We they are, They are way more perceptive than we give them credit for. I and know. I was like, you're going to mess up your kids. Trust me, you're going to mess up your kids. You need to deal with what you're doing through therapy so that you don't pass it on to your kids. And some of them listen because I explain to them like how they will affect their kids in the future. Uh, some, most of the time it's men of my generation and older, you know, late 30s and older. It's still like trying to hammer home how important therapy is, but they, they, they don't get it. They just don't get it. You brought up something uh, that I think is important to touch on. So you said you worked in the foster care system in Washington, D.C. I'm going to assume from your background that the demographic that you worked with was a lot of Latino and black people, people of color. Um, How did you get started in specializing in treating anxiety, depression and ADHD in those communities? I just kind of fell into it. Yeah. I think just working in that 
that area, that city. Yeah, all my clients, all my foster care clients happen to be Black and African American. And then when I moved over to the clinic in Hyattsville, all of those clients happen to be Latino. And so I just, it was such a humbling experience. And I just appreciated and still appreciate being the racial minority at work. I really, yeah. I don't know, I really liked, I really loved that and relished in that once I was, once I was there and in it. And I feel like, you know, I learned quickly, I adapted quickly, and I came from the perspective of, you know, I'm here to help you as best as I can, but I'm also need to learn from you. I'm not entirely the expert in everything, mm-hmm. definitely not your culture. So like, help me help you. I'm going to meet you where you're at and just try to be as like supportive and hold space for you for whatever that means. And once I moved over to licensing foster parents, yeah, all my foster parents were black and African-American and I just let them vent about how crappy this system was that they were dealing with. Um, Cause a lot of them were trying to care for their, their, um, their own family members, whether it was nieces, nephews, grandchildren, very close family friends, like they are having to navigate so much challenges just to care for their family members. And so whatever I could do to use my own privilege to help them navigate that system, like that's what I was going to do. And that's what was really important to me. And that's what I found like really fulfilling in those years leading up to when I was like actually doing therapy, because that was more case management type, Mm -hmm. but I, I still, you know, took the time and I really enjoyed that time of just talking to those clients, those foster parents, just to give them space to talk and vent and tell their story. Cause I don't think they had another opportunity to do that. Well, so you bring that up. What are some of the challenges and barriers that people from uh, the Latino and black community face when getting mental health resources? I think it's just navigating this healthcare system in general. Hmm. I don't think it's set up for anyone to really succeed. And even myself, like as a white female, like even as a female, I don't feel like I'm even taken seriously when I go to doctor's appointments. So I can't imagine as a person of color, not being taken seriously, like at all. Um, and that, what do you that's mean, just, that's what just do you what mean I by, by being taken like, seriously. Like being like invalidated and saying like this is what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Being like, mm, okay, are you sure that's it? And like not being believed about my own stuff. Um, mm. And just yeah, I just have such a hard time with yeah, not being taken seriously, not being trusted, being invalidated. And I've experienced that myself, just in like in navigating healthcare or even mental health care. Um, and so if I've experienced that, I can't imagine what people of color experience when they're navigating this system. Because like as a client or a patient, if you're coming in, like they know best, like you as the client patient know best about yourself. And so I just don't understand why as a p- provider, whether it's physical or mental health, why you wouldn't believe the client or patient and what they're saying, what they're experiencing and what they need and like, listen to them and, Oh, you need this. Okay. Um, and I just feel like I had to act as a translator so much, not just for my Spanish speaking clients either, even like with my black clients, like just trying to, I don't know, force your way in, like, no, they need this. Like, no, you're not hearing what they need. They are saying they need this. You're misunderstanding. You're, you know, just so many like miscommunications, even in the school system. It's both, both of those, the school system, as well as the healthcare system, mental and physical healthcare. I just felt like I, being an advocate, translator or advocate is probably a better word for it. Um, just trying to help them advocate of like, no, this is what they need. You are not hearing what they are saying. This is what they need. Please help them um, because they would get so frustrated and want to give up. And I would too. 
So you can't when it's your child, you know, your child's like health and life at risk. Right. So. Exactly. So with these barriers and challenges in place, just from the healthcare standpoint, and obviously we're dealing with not only the children who are experiencing trauma and PTSD, uh, but also the parents as well. What are some of the techniques and interventions you use to help them through all of that? I, I feel like initially it's um, trying to stress the importance of just talking about it. And, and that's why I feel like I learned so many um, very like therapy one-on-one techniques in talking to those foster parents. Like, it's okay to feel your feelings and to let that out and you don't have to hold it in and act like everything is okay because that's what I was taught by my boomer generation parents is yeah, you just have to like push through it and act like everything is fine. And I can't do that. And I don't expect anyone to do that really. Um, and so first and foremost, just being like, it's okay that you're frustrated. That's why it's like, I'm, so in validating feelings is so important to me and just validating how difficult this is, how this isn't easy. This isn't a fair system that they're working with and just trying to validate that like that is real, that, that you feel what you're feeling and that struggle is, is real. You're not making that up. Um, mm -hmm. And just trying to normalize their feelings and validate them and say like, Hey, it's okay that you feel this way. So because of that, what can we do to help you feel like yourself again? And that's that's different for everybody. But just kind of forcing them to think about it. You know, you're taking all this time and energy caring for these foster children, but what about you? Yeah. You know, so it's okay to like sit and talk and process and feel your feelings and then after that, like, what's going to help you feel like you again? And then how can I, how can I help do that? Yeah. As a social worker, it's mind, body, soul. We're looking at everything, you know, like what, what, how can we help you with any sort of lifestyle habit that you're trying to change? <laughs> That's so interesting. I'm going to throw my friends under the bus, but I'm not going to say their names, but they know exactly who I'm talking about. And um, so we were talking about music and I use music, also alcohol, but I use music uh, to really put me in a, a peaceful yes. mind state, Love right? Yes. And I will go back and listen to old jams, right? Like, I, 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 and I say old jams to us, they're not that old because they're our generation, but to these mm -hmm. Gen, Gen Zers, it's yes. really old school stuff. So I'll go back and listen to 80s R&B and 90s hip hop and it'll take me to a certain time. And it, there are memories associated with that music. Um, and it'll, it'll take me to a happy place. And I said this to my two male friends who are the same age as I am in their early 40s. And they were like, what? What are you talking about? Feelings associated with music? No. This is the male toxic answer that they gave me. You sound like a real female right now. And and I and I told them in the text message thread, you guys are really ignorant. Like I and, and this is my generation. And there's something about trying to to not school them, but enlighten them to say, hey man, it's okay to feel feelings. That doesn't make you weak at all. Matter of fact, that makes this idea of being the strong, silent type, those people died early of heart attacks and strokes and things of that nature. I don't want to go out yeah. like that. Um, so oh. mindfulness and, and mental health and, and, and a healthy well-being is, is super dope and super important. And I'm glad that you talked to, to your clients about that, but that leads me to another question. I, I brought up how I listen to music, but how, what role does mindfulness play in promoting many, mental health and well-being? And what are, I use music, what are some of the uh, tips and techniques for practicing mindfulness that can help to, to deal with? It doesn't necessarily have to be trauma and PTSD. If you have trauma and PTSD, you need to speak to somebody. You need to speak to a licensed therapist. But if you just 
going through something, uh, what are some uh, mindfulness techniques and practices people could use? Yeah. So when uh, when I was working and commuting to D.C. and Hyattsville, I I feel like I fell into a very autopilot system routine where I was I was not mindful. I was not aware of what I was doing. I was just go, go, go. Like, you know, do your work, get home, you know, go to bed, do it again. And when I was introduced to mindfulness, which was more in, I guess it was like 2019 when I started ramping up my own personal therapy after I went no contact with my dad, I ramped up my own personal individual therapy. And one of my therapists introduced me to meditation and mindfulness and I was so hooked after that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And really, it was just a, like a five minute meditation that she did because I couldn't stop crying. And um, it it calmed me so much. And just doing that, like I had to do it myself. You know, I had heard of meditation and kind of just didn't think I could do it. I don't know. I just didn't really, I was just didn't know enough about it and was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not experienced to do that. So I had a therapist guide me through one one day and realized that, oh, that's all there is to it. Okay, that's fine. I can do this. Yeah. And she was told me about an app and I was like, wow, this is easier than I thought. And so I realized that, yeah, really just like taking a few minutes to just breathe, just focus on your breath, you know, just stop going, 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 which was hard for me because again, that's all I knew. That's all I was taught. That's all I saw from my, my own workaholic parents. Um, both my parents worked my whole life. And so all I knew was to keep going. And when I realized like actually slowing down and taking a few minutes to breathe actually helps that. Yeah. That was life changing for me. So I've tried meditation. I have a very difficult time actually cutting out everything and meditating because my mind, my mind just races all day long. But I guess from what I was told me when I zone out listening to music is kind of like meditation. It is. It is. And that's the thing. That's, there are so many different, yes, like creative ways that you can practice mindfulness. And yeah, when you are listening to music, and you're kind of in the zone and it takes you, like you said, to a happy place, like that is your mindfulness time. Absolutely. And so it doesn't have to be sitting and meditating because that does take some training, I think. But whatever activity you can find, like I have a client who likes to fish. Yeah. Fishing is your mindfulness time. Whatever activity that you're doing that is just bringing you a sense of calm and peace, like truly that's all that matters. (laughs) Could it be, I'm talking personally here, could it be video games? Even if the video games make you angry and you slam controllers, but it still takes your mind away from the stressors that, that you might be dealing with. Is that, is that, could that technically, technically be considered meditation as well? Like I, mm-hmm. I know like running and sometimes like I often use working out as, as well, like I work out all the time. So I, I go to the gym and, and I can get in and focus in on a workout. And that's where my mind is at that particular time. But video games, I, I know that's a, a growing, I'm not going to say epidemic, but maybe because there is an addiction that is associated with that. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are using, I, I know for a fact, people are using that as an escape. Yeah. I'm married to someone who uses it as an escape. So I 100% get that. I just think it is a matter of moderation. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, as long as it is not, you know, causing the rest of your life disruptions, then yeah, I know it is a really good way to escape and really like, yeah, get out of your daily stressors. And so as long as it's not interrupting other things, you know what I mean? That's how I feel about most, I don't want to say vices, because yes, there are things that are truly unhealthy for you, and I'm not going to advocate for that, but I don't know, most um, hobbies, I guess, or interests, activities, if it's if it's not harming you or anyone, it's not causing you your daily disruptions, it's not affecting your 
work or whatever responsibilities you have to have and it's bringing you peace and joy, then great. So the main point of this conversation, ladies and gentlemen, one, if you have trauma, you don't even know if you have PTSD, you need a you need to speak to a licensed therapist, especially if you have kids. And two, if you're going through something, find an outlet, a mindful outlet that calms you, brings you joy, brings you peace. So Megan, you said that you started your clinic, uh, Clarity Wellness Solutions, and you said it was June 2020. So you started it in the middle of the pandemic. Yes. And that was sort of by accident because that fall was when my daughter was going to start kindergarten anyway. And I didn't want to commute. I didn't want to make this long commute to DC and Prince George's County anymore. So I always had it in my mind, like, all right, I'm going to do my own thing at some point and be closer to home, closer to the Baltimore area. Um, But then COVID happened. We had to go on lockdown and everything went virtual. And I had had a coworker who even before COVID hit was trying to encourage me to just do my practice virtually. And I just like, couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to I'm going to do that. Um, And it literally took the pandemic where we were forced to do everything online. And we got really familiar with Zoom and Google Meet and doing sessions that way. And so since it became normalized very quickly, I thought, all right, I think I'm going to do this virtually then. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I did. I started the, the practice and only using psychology today to really market myself. Um, as well as just being in the insurance portals, if you will, for clients. And I just kind of like waited. I was also still, you know, supervising at the Hyattsville Clinic. I still saw some clients there. Um, so I was kind of doing both while I was starting my own practice, but those clients came quickly, a lot quicker than I anticipated. And so it, I forget exactly what month, but sometime later in 2020 is when I recruited one of my former coworkers at the clinic to contract with me to Mm. um, see clients with me. Um, And so she's gone on to start her own practice and it's, it's so awesome. A lot of clinicians that have worked for me in the past have gone on to do their own practices. And that is the best thing. That's all I want because Mm. we need more clinicians. We need more mental health practitioners. So the more people I can help supervise and, you know, help um, mentor, if you will, like I, I love doing that as well. So Alicia was my first clinic contractor clinician. And now I have eight contractors wow. that work for me and it's wonderful. I love it. Um, yeah. And it's all virtual. And because of that though, we're able to see anyone in the state of Maryland, if, if we accept their insurance or if they want to pay our, our out-of-pocket rate, that's fine. I feel like I keep it relatively low compared to some other clinics in my area. So that's, that's where we are. Yeah. And I have um, an administrative assistant who helps me with my social media presence because I would not do that on my own at all. So it's very nice having help for that. And you're not, limited to just solely Maryland. That's I was talking to somebody about virtual and the pandemic sucked, but there's a part of it that came out of it that is better for people. I think virtual learning, working is easier for people because, you know, you travel down to DC, I'm in DC, the traffic in this area is ridiculous. I, I am five minutes away from the Washington Monument. That's how long it takes in a car if there was no traffic. But since there is traffic, it's 25 to 30 minutes. And so people commuting back and forth for work, sometimes their round trip in this area to go 10 miles would be two hours, right? So um, that's, that's one of the things that this pandemic, that's one of the bright spots that came out of this pandemic is that employers realize that people could work from home and, and actually be more productive. And your clinic isn't restricted to Maryland because it's virtual. It's national. It's international. It can it can go 
any you can see anybody anywhere and that's beautiful but my question is your 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 clinic grew at a time where the world was slowing down and it seemed like not only the fact that we were in lockdown people were depressed and, and dealing with emotional and mental health because of that but because of the slowdown did you see it in your experience that because their minds had to slow down during a pandemic that it wasn't that they saw that their mental health wasn't just the cause of the pandemic but also stuff that they had been dealing with throughout life that they just didn't realize it because they were living in the rat race mm -hmm. i think so yes my own my own autopilot absolutely i was stuck in that so much and I think it took the pandemic to, you know, switching to working from home <laughs> for the first time. And now I've literally, you know, I'm, I've turned my guest room into my home office and I've been here for three years now. And I cannot believe I'm saying that because that just sounds so wild that that much time has already gone by because I was in that autopilot commute mode zone for so long. And then when I got out of it, I was like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot here that we kind of have to look at and work on. And so I do think that's what it was for a lot of people. It forced us to slow down and it shined a light on what you were maybe neglecting with your own physical and mental health. And so I do think it worked out for me timing wise. Yeah. I mm. happened to get a diagnosis of Crohn's disease at the end of 2019. Oh. And so I was dealing with, that at the start of the pandemic as well, trying to figure out what would help me, nutritionists, GI doctors, all kinds of stuff. Um, and if I was commuting, well, there's no way I would have been able to like get through all that. And so, yeah, it helped me. The forcing me to slow down did me a lot of favors for sure. And do you see, what are some of the differences with meeting people in person and meeting people virtually. Obviously, if you're meeting people virtually, you can see a lot more people because your time isn't restricted through transportation. But is there a, is there something that's lost with not being there or is there no real difference as far as treating people virtually or in person? So that's one thing, yes. I've been able to see so many more clients per, per day, per week, um, virtually. Versus when I was, I used to um, do home visits. So I was driving, you know, all around the county and around DC going to homes. And so, yeah, don't see as many people. But yes, I do. I miss being in person at times. Um, but truth be told, Bruce, as long as your your internet, your connect, the connection is working and you can hear and see each other, like not that much is lost in my opinion. That's what I've found. And in doing this for three years now, like I, I do see one client in person at a library um, once a week. But other than that, no one has really been like clamoring to come back to the office. Um, you know, some are like, if you have if you get one one day, great. But if not, like this works wonderfully. And mm -hmm. so I guess that's what I kind of, you know, every once in a while, I'll try to pull my clients like, is this still working? For you, is this not? And they're like, no, this is great. So until I have like multiple, multiple clients saying like, this isn't working for me anymore, then I'm just going to try to do this as, as long as I can. Yeah, I don't think you're going to. I don't think you're going to see that. I think that uh, that we've moved towards this being the way that we communicate. Um, I don't even talk on the phone anymore. You either text me or FaceTime me. That's right. Those are the two options to actually hold the phone to my ear. That's not happening anymore. So yeah, it's thing in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do we work? How do we as a community work towards improving access to mental health resources for everyone, regardless of their background or social economic status? This is such a hard question for me because I feel like it really has to, it has to start at the top. It really is a policy level thing. And coming from a social work background, there's another half of social work that is, you know, MAC policy community organization. And 
you know, sometimes I really want to get involved at that level where, you know, trying, trying to like actually enact some change at the government, if you will, level, because that's where all these issues stem from is, you know, we're having this conversation because we live in the United States. Whereas if we were in a country in Europe and when we had universal health care, and in theory, everyone's therapy would be covered and I'm just dealing with one entity versus five or six different insurance companies, you know, like to me, it's, that's a whole different ball game, but because we're where we are and we have to navigate this system best that we can, I, I don't know. I don't know. I have, I want to get involved at the, at the policy level at some point, because I just, I think that's where we can make the most change. In the meantime, for myself with my own practice, that's why I've tried to um, panel with as many insurance companies as possible, as well as, you know, taking out of pocket, of course. But in my mind, my my theory is if I can panel with as many insurance companies as possible, then maybe that means I can see as many people as possible, regardless of what their background is. Um, so this is a question, and I, I, I should have probably looked this up before the interview, but it, it, I didn't think of this question until just now because you were talking about insurances. Does Medicaid and Medicare cover therapy? It does. Yeah, the okay, clinic that so I worked does. for in Hyattsville was all was a Medicaid-based clinic, so they okay. were all Medicaid clients. Yep, and so if you, um, you know, are if you qualify for Medicaid, if you're at that that level where you qualify for Medicaid, then yes, you can actually get your therapy covered 100. percent And for those people out there that are listening, because it, I, well, I'm not on Medicaid or Medicare, but if I was on Medicaid or Medicare, um, I wouldn't even know how to start to get therapy. What are some of the processes since you've had that experience working with Medicaid mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to assume since Medicaid did it, Medicare will also do it. Um, what are some of the processes for people that are on Medicaid, Medicare, uh, to, to get therapy? Because they might not know one, that it's an option for them. Mm -hmm. And two, that if they do know it's an option, how to go about securing therapy. Yeah. I, th I think I always mention websites like psychologytoday.com because that's where I kind of started. That's where you, that's your um, thera therapy, therapist directory. And there are others out there besides that one. Um, but you can actually search by insurance. And that's, so whether you're at psychologytoday.com or another therapist directory, you can filter out what insurances um, the therapists accept. And so search by Medicaid, search by Care First, whatever you have. And that way you have, you know, oh, this person actually will accept my my insurance. And to me, that's the first and foremost important thing is to just find someone in your network. And you can go through your own insurance's portal and you have to be a little bit more, I guess, tech savvy for that. But if you have your insurance card, they'll have a website on there and they'll say, you know, your member portal, go here and you can look up providers for anything, whether it's therapy or physical health. Um, but otherwise, yeah, but otherwise just searching any sort of therapy directory and filtering out their insurance um, so that you know exactly that they're going to take what you have. For those people that might not have access to computers or cell phones to to Google, Google is your friend, folks, uh, right. to Google this information, are there local services, uh, centers or something like that that people can go to um, to help get information and help for therapy? Yeah, your Department of Social Services definitely is is where you're going to, because most likely if you're connected through Medicaid, then hopefully if, you know, hopefully you're connected through a social worker or a caseworker through your local department of social services. And so if you are like, go right to them. Yeah. Go right to whoever helps you register for your Medicaid and they will absolutely help you navigate 
where to go. Because it's so much easier talking to somebody than trying to navigate computers. So I I agree with that. (laughs) So finally, my my final question, and I feel like all these questions were important and all the answers were important. But as I I said earlier, I have some friends out there um, and, and I pointed out too, but I have also family members um, that uh, need mental health and need therapy. What advice would you give to someone who is struggling with mental health, but may feel resistant or reluctant to seek help? My advice is always to please don't give up. Please don't give up on advocating for yourself. I've wanted to so many times, but it's your health is worth it. Your mental health is worth it. And even if it's hard, even if you run into someone you don't vibe with or mesh with right away, keep trying, keep searching for providers that, that you connect with and just, and don't give up because your peace is worth it. I love that advocating for yourself. Wow. That's a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people will help others and neglect themselves so often uh, a lot of people will give advice to people and say, hey, you probably need to talk to somebody and won't follow their own advice. Uh, so I love that advocating for yourself. I love that. that. I think that's a great way to end the episode. Megan, I want to thank you once again for joining uh, me today and agreeing to do this interview. I feel like what you had to say was so very important and so vital, especially in today's day and age where mental health is starting to get the recognition that it deserves, but we're still not there yet. And we still need to keep pushing forward. So I want to thank you again for coming and talking to me today. Thank you so much, Bruce. I really appreciate it. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. Wow. I really think that was, I want to thank Megan uh, for coming on the show and talking to us. I want to thank Megan for opening up and expressing uh, her history and things that she's had to deal with in her life. And that slogan, advocating for self, that's that's my, that's my new thing. Um, I really do believe that people need to start advocating for self, not on a self-absorbed, selfish level. But, you know, my sister often brings up putting up boundaries. And, and I will say in my personal life, I haven't been good at putting up boundaries, right? Like uh, of telling people, you know what? I don't feel like doing this. Or it, it, my problem is, is I'll drink, get happy, and then everything sounds like a good idea. And the truth of the matter is, I don't want to do none of it. But <laughs> like none of it. Um, but it, setting boundaries is good, and that's a, a part of your mental health. People that know me know that I have Sunday Fun Day. Sunday Fun Day is my day to relax and, and do what I do. And what could that mean? That could literally mean just sitting around watching superhero TV shows and movies, drinking champagne, cuddling with my dog. It's a way to recenter myself, to prepare myself for the work week or whatever I have going on. I think that that's important. I often uh, did, I didn't realize, talking to Megan, I didn't realize that the things that I do is a form of meditation. And I put that in quotes for those people that just listen to the audio. But, you know, me zoning out, listening to music, being in my vibe, me going for my walks. You know, I love going for, for a walk because the walks clear my mind. Like it, I can run through a bunch of things in my mind, but it, it brings clarity. Uh, working out, uh, those that know me know I work out like six days a week and I'm in the gym. Anybody that sees me in the gym knows I'm in there hitting it hard. Uh, that's to work out the aggression because like I said, I got a lot of anger and, and I will smack somebody on the street, but no, but like, and, and playing my video games, you know, all this, this stuff is, it's not an escape, but a way to center myself. My sister brought up, you know, back in the day, I used to have brother and sister day. It was doing the same things over and over again, a way to center myself. I didn't realize that these were things that I were doing, that I was doing to center myself, but I feel like that's important. It's important to center yourself since you have good mental health, because the last thing that you want to do is let your mental health become so poor, uh, let your anxiety or your depression turn so poor. For me, it would turn into anger and then anger would be expressed outwardly. Uh, my friends would tell you back in the day that I was a hothead. Now that I'm starting to re-examine my life and, and, and think about 
through work, my anxiety and things of that nature, I realized that that outward expression of anger was just the anxiety and, and depression building up inside of me to the point where I couldn't take any more. Uh, and, and, and the outlet was, I'm going to blow up on somebody. But but now that I'm older and now that there's more access to knowledge of improving yourself and mental health, people can do better than having negative outlets. And I think Megan brought up really clear examples of ways to have positive outlets to deal with anxiety and depression. And, and, and if you, and, and talking to somebody, right? Like talking to a health professional uh, is very, very important. You know, people in the black community always want to say, well, I'm going to pray on it. Mm. God gave us therapists for a reason. <laughs> so, so it's good to talk to a therapist to work through your issues. And contrary to what everybody believes, you dealing with it by not dealing with it is not dealing with it. And it's still there haunting you and affecting you, whether you want to admit it or not. Go out, seek help, talk to somebody. There's nothing wrong with that. It's no sign of weakness. That's a sign of strength. But on that note, during Mental Health Awareness Month, which Megan uh, let me know about, it's not only Women's Month, but it's also Mental Health Awareness Month. Check in on yourself. It's important. And on that note, I'll holler. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, Audi 5000. Peace.